Lolita and tell her happy birthday. It's her birthday Friday, so make sure you go tell her happy birthday. It's Phoebe's birthday on Sunday, so she's not here, so we'll get her on Sunday. We'll get her on Sunday, so. Um, but several weeks ago, okay, we're starting now looking at this. I'm kind of piggybacking off of what Brother Bernard took us through in the, in the streaming interview that we had last week. And several weeks ago, Hannah Reeder texted me with a question about speaking in tongues as it pertains to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, her question was based on some things they were discussing in their Christian Liberal Arts College, formerly known as Bible College. I got that right, Hannah. She said she's going to watch, and I want to make sure I get everything right and correct. But her question here tonight and I do have her permission to talk about this because there was, a, there was a string of good questions that I said, you know what, if you have these questions, I'm sure other people do too, and I want to cover these and bring some, hopefully, some clarity in Scripture. So her question was, is speaking in tongues, aside from the first time when it's the initial evidence of receiving the Spirit, necessary for salvation? So I think the most, I would, I would venture to say the majority of everyone here tonight, the majority of you all would say, yeah, speaking in tongues is a sign of receiving the Spirit. We don't, I don't think we'd have much argument in this audience. And I even think that most of us would be like, hey, no, I speak in tongues. Yeah, I, I, continue, I continue to do that. But does Scripture point out, is there something biblically that says, that speaking in tongues, aside from the initial received reception of the Spirit, is there something that says that that is necessary to continue in to make heaven our home? Last week, Brother Bernard did an amazing job in the interview we streamed, uh, explaining our belief in the infilling of the Spirit as it relates to the Bible. I can't emphasize this enough. If you didn't catch last week... Go to our Facebook page, or you can even go to YouTube and type in UPCI Holy Spirit and Tongues or something. You'll see the, the video. And I would strongly suggest watching that because he does such a good job. If I could say one thing, it brings clarity. Clarity about the Spirit and speaking in tongues according to Scripture. And so tonight I want to look at this. Is it necessary to continue to speak in tongues? Lord... Thank you so much for everyone who's here, who's made it a point to come in person, tune in online, and I just pray that you would help me to bring clarity through your scripture, because really it doesn't matter what I think or feel, it's what your word says. And so God, help us as we look at this to just maybe see some things we've never seen, and if we have seen them, that they're even deeper, more rooted in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you're going to hear me say some of the things that Brother Bernard says just because he was actually taught some of my classes at graduate school. So he, to me, Brother Bernard is probably the most brilliant human being that I've come in contact with personally. But uh, he said, and I agree, the book of Acts is just not, it's not just a book of history. It's not just historical fact and accounts, but it's also a book of theology. Because it wasn't just, he went here, she went here, these are the dates. It is, hey, these are the guys who Jesus Christ handpicked, trained, and then said, Go change the world. I'm giving you authority. So we get to see in the Acts of the Apostles, that book, what did they do? Where did they go? What did they teach? How did they live? 
And so this book shows us exactly what happened. And the book of Acts starts by telling us what those disciples personally experienced after Jesus ascended into heaven. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all, say all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and how did they know they were filled with the Holy Ghost? They began to speak with tongues, with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the utterance. People get misunderstood sometimes. sometimes. Oh, I don't want to speak in tongues because that'll, that's me speaking. Well, of course it's you speaking. Do you expect... Something to come, I think sometimes we don't even know what we're filled with the Spirit because we're expecting like an angel to come out of the sky, grab our tongue and be like, and then like, it didn't happen to me. Listen, it says, the Spirit gave who the utterance? Them. They uttered, the, they had the vocal cords. They had to step out in faith. And when they worshiped God, felt his power, experienced his presence, they had to put vocal cords and sounds to their voice and speak out the words in faith. You don't have to be in a church service. Every time you speak in tongues, you don't have to have goosebumps, weeping. They don't have to be somebody on the organ, on the drums, and the, there doesn't have to be a praise band. You don't even have to like the worship song. But sometimes that's what I think we think. And so they received the Spirit. Every one of them, 120 of them, they received the Spirit. And the external sign that they now had the Spirit was that they spoke in tongues. They were not born of the Spirit, just like Jesus prophesied to Nicodemus when he said, except man is born of the water and Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If we're believers tonight, we, if we're Bible believers, then we know we have to have the water and the Spirit to enter in the kingdom of God. It's clear. It's in the Word of God. Where there comes discrepancies and discussion between theologians is what exactly is the water and what exactly is the Spirit. But we know we got to have the water and we got to have the Spirit. Well, the way we find out what the Spirit is is we go to the Word and find out, okay, what, what did they believe the Spirit was? And we find them getting filled with the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking in other tongues. Now, it's important to understand God always, always has been into signs with his people. Just off the top of my head, not doing much research, just rainbow after the flood. He says, Noah, I am never going to destroy the earth with the flood again. I know we've been questioning that lately. But he says, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky, which is so interesting to me because People, if you're not raised with speaking in tongues, or if this is the first you're hearing about it, second, third time, you might be like, man, it seems strange, that's odd. But so much about what is odd is what we were raised with. Imagine if you had never heard of, seen, or knew anything about a rainbow. And I said tonight, hey, guys, after the rain, keep your head up because you might see five colors randomly coming out of the sky. You'd be like, you are nuts. You are crazy. You, what, what did you eat for dinner tonight? Because you wouldn't expect, like that just sounds strange. But has anyone ever seen a rainbow? Has anyone here ever not seen a rainbow? 
Oh, good. So we all, every one of us have seen a rainbow. So in other words, when I say there's a rainbow in the sky, we don't go, what? what what's that? It's crazy. So if you were raised around a rainbow, that doesn't sound crazy to you. If you're raised and you understand speaking in tongues, that doesn't sound crazy. But if you have never heard of it, you might say, wow, that's crazy. That's nuts. That's strange. But God's ways and his plans don't always make sense to us. So he says, hey, I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood. And as a matter of fact, that's the covenant. But I'm going to give you a token, a sign of my covenant. There's going to be a, a rainbow in the sky. He goes on. He says, Abraham, you need to get circumcised. The, eventually, it's going to be a spiritual circumcision. It starts as physical. That's uh, My covenant is you're going to be my people, and, and I'm going to bless them and bless you. And there's a covenant here, but I'm going to give you a sign, a token of the covenant. You're gonna, there's going to be circumcision in, from not just for you, but all generations. Now, that really points more to baptism than the Spirit. But I still want you to see the covenant had a sign. Moses, he says, I'm going to use you to, to call my people out of Egypt. And guess what? I'm going to give you a sign. We're going to make a covenant. But the sign is you and the people are going to serve me on this very mountain that I'm speaking to you. Isaiah told King Ahaz, he says, ask a sign from God. In Isaiah 28, with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to my people. There's a covenant, but I'm telling you to ask me a sign. He says, I'm going to dwell among the, the, the wings of the cherubims. I'm going to be with my people. And guess what? You're always going to know when I'm in that place. Because when you look up in the daytime, there's going to be a cloud. At night, there's going to be a pillar of fire. And you're going to see a visible sign that I am doing what I said in my covenant. Hey, I'm going to give you a savior. And guess what? I'm going to give you a sign so you know what to look for. A virgin is going to... You thought the rainbow was strange. A virgin's going to conceive and bring forth... We might know some people that tried that excuse, but it's not really true. Okay? A virgin is going to conceive and bring forth a son. So there's the sign. Joel prophesies as God. He says, well, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. At a time when only the Jews were viewed as God's people. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will see visions and dream dreams. They're going to prophesy. He starts telling all this stuff, right? Well, God was not only into signs as a part of his covenant, but he also spoke of how the terms of his covenant, the token of his covenant, was meant to be eternal or ongoing. He started with the rainbow back then. We still see rainbows today, do we not? Genesis 17, 9 through 12, then Abraham, God said to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. Verse 12, he says, from generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised the eighth day after his birth. Notice, when he set up a covenant, he says, here's the token, the sign, the evidence of the covenant. And he says, it's ongoing, everlasting, eternal, continually. It does not stop. And just like this, like I say, the rainbow remains as a sign. So he usually does not do covenants with temporary implications. I make this important historical point because this sets precedent for tongues. And I'll explain. I don't believe that God sends his spirit, which is covenant, the promise, and gives a sign, which is tongues, that was meant to be a one-time initial thing. You'll, you'll talk to people. The more you discuss religion and theology with people, you will find all kinds of people that will say, 
I believe in the outpouring of the Spirit, but it was for just them and not for us today. But then that doesn't take into account the fact that you read on and all of a sudden there's other people receiving the Spirit. Then there's Gentiles receiving the Spirit. And there's followers of John the Baptist receiving the Spirit. It, it, was, it was meant to be for everybody and it's still going on. That's why you read epistles and those letters come with formal endings. Good, grace and peace be unto you. Greet so-and-so. But Acts doesn't end that way. Why? Because the New Testament church, we're Acts 29. Okay, the New Testament church, we're still in the book of Acts. We're still living the book of Acts. And so it's meant to be from generation to generation. I love what Brother Bernard said last week when he said in the Old Testament, God creates everything perfect. Well, then sin enters in, and after the flood, 130 years after the flood, we're, 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 at, the, we're at the Tower of Babel. God had said to Noah and his kids, he said, multiply and replenish the earth. They get off the ark. And they settle down in one place, and all of a sudden you go to Genesis 11, and they're saying, hey, I got an idea, guys. Let's build a tower to heaven so we can be like the gods and be up there. All that's in the earth is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And so here they are, and so God says, he comes down, and he says, he confounds their language. The whole earth was of one language, one speech, Genesis 11, 1 tells us. And now all of a sudden, somebody's going... Could you hand me that hammer? And the next person's like, ¿Qué? No comprendo. Check it out. Genesis 11. You have the beginning of languages entered there. It enters in that point. Up to that point, the whole earth was with one language, one speech. But they're trying to build their way to heaven. And God confounds their language. So what was once a unifying element of humanity has now brought disunity. But God says, I have a plan. One day, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. At a time where only the Jews were God's people, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And no matter what your language, skin color, background was, he's going to do something that what sin caused disunity and divide, his spirit was going to bring unity. And we all, once again, were going to speak one language of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's a beautiful thing. So in Acts 2, the apostles and many other people are speaking in tongues in Jerusalem for the first time ever. A crowd gathers around them, and some are very curious of what's going on. These guys aren't educated. How are they speaking these languages? Some are just making fun. Ah, they're drunk, which is the most hilarious thing in the world, because have you ever been drunk yourself or been around a drunk person? They don't wax more eloquent. Those words tend to get less eloquent. And so they're going, well, what's going on? And so they start. So Peter stands up with the 11 and begins to preach unto them Jesus. Notice, we Pentecostals, Apostolics, we love the outpouring of the Spirit so much that we think that Acts 2 is just about getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2 is about Jesus. He preaches Jesus the whole time. And all of a sudden, you get to verse 37 and says, they were pricked in their heart. That conviction enters, and they're going, ah, we, we put to death the Messiah, our Savior. They said, Peter, what are we supposed to do? And so if somebody, this is a great time where a lot of religions, denominations believe, just, just believe on the Lord and you're saved. 
So wouldn't Peter at this moment have said, hey, just tell Jesus you believe and you're good. But he doesn't. Peter says unto them very clear instructions. Man, Peter did what I, I mean, if, if somebody would have asked me what to do, I would have preached a whole nother message. Thank God I didn't live back there. There would have been Acts 3 through 19 of just my message that day. Peter says it in one verse. He says, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I just wish they would have said something about tongues right there. Why? Would he need to include that when like 30 verses earlier they were speaking in tongues? I mean, if you were writing this story, would you have been like, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then he said, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And the evidence was speaking in other tongues. I mean, like he just wrote that 30 verses ago. And so, and then he noticed what he says. See, sometimes, because we want it, like Brother Bernard mentioned, we want it to just be like, everything is a Western mindset, like point by point, bullet by bullet, and so everything is just crystal clear statements. Like, so, so today, for those of you who are reading this, you absolutely have to speak in tongues to receive the Spirit. But that's the way we learn. The majority of the world of that day, and even still yet today, learn by storytelling. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to tell you a parable. I'm going to, we are like, what, what? Why wouldn't he just stop telling the parables and just give me the point-by-point lecture? Give me bullet points and slides. And, and that's the way Brother Bernard actually teaches. I love it. And that's the way I like it. But the majority of humanity learns by storytelling. That's what, what you see in the first century. That's, Jesus teaches that way. And so Luke, if you would have said, Luke, why wouldn't you just tell us clear? If Luke could be here today, he would say, I thought I did tell you clear. He, he, he would assume you don't want to hear from me as the writer. I told the story through the people who were there and through the apostles what they said. That's the way I told the story. So just because we say, I just wish he'd speak it with clarity. He did speak it with clarity. That looks different. Anyway, side now. So... Luke probably felt like he did do that. And so Peter does speak with clarity. In keeping with what I just said about covenants and tokens and signs, look at verse 39. Look back to 39. 39 says, hey, here's what to do. The promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Guess what? That's still us. So people that say, oh, that's just for them. Well, what do, they, what do you say about that verse? It's everybody. And notice that keeping with the whole everlasting covenant, it's going to go on and on. Abraham's circumcision, rainbow. Here he says, this is a promise that will go on and on and on. It will not stop. It's everlasting. We believe that based on scripture, God's will is for everyone to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the sign we have is the sign of stammering lips in another tongue. Joel, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, 2, 28 through 29, he says, It shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is way before Acts 2. But Joel's prophesying, he says, your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. And also upon the servants and the handmaids, I will pour out my spirit. Which was like 
totally prophetic and taboo because guess what? Handmaiden sermons, servants and even women of that day did not have that kind of respect and reverence. It wasn't for them. They had to wait outside the tabernacles and temples. But Joel prophesies at a time, you know what? It's going to be for all flesh. The young men, oh, they're not really respected. Women, not really respected. Handmaidens, not really respected. No, 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 no. But in that day, God's going to pour out his spirit upon everybody and, and there's going to be neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Thank God for that. But notice, Joel, no mention of tongues there. So the naysayers today say, see, but it still doesn't mention tongues. But when Peter's asked, why are you speaking in tongues? We heard you speaking in tongues. We're marveled. They're drunk. What's going on? Peter stands up with the 11, starts to preach Jesus. But look in verse 12. It says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking, said they're full of new wine. Peter stands up, lifts up his voice, begins to speak. In verse 15, he says, these are not drunk, as he supposed, seeing it's the third hour of the day. Jewish time clock goes 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so it's 9 in the morning. And he says, but. This points to what's going on is that which was prophesied by Joel. And it begins to go in 1718 and quote verbatim what Joel prophesied years and years and years earlier. And he, and he, and he says that what he associates, what you are seeing right now with us speaking in tongues is what was prophesied about the Holy Spirit by Joel. Peter, Peter makes it very clear that the reception of the Spirit of God was by the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And he connects that to the Old Testament prophecies. One is the promise, one's the sign of the promise. So it's important to understand these things because when someone says, oh, the Bible never says that speaking in tongues is necessary to be saved, we got to understand that, yes, it is. It, it, it's, it, it's through storytelling. It's through them sharing these accounts that it makes it clear. So even the Bible, even though the Bible might never spell out, you must continue to speak in tongues to be saved. I, I take this first portion just say to you that the prophecies and records of fulfillment of these prophecies point to the fact that speaking in tongues is a sign, a covenant of his spirit, and just as it would be hard to imagine God changing things in the Old Testament. I can't fathom God going, I know I used to, guys, require circumcision as the sign of the eternal covenant, but I'm going to switch it up. Even in the New Testament, he sticks with the circumcision, but Colossians says it's a circumcision now made without hands. How in the world does that happen? Thank God he goes on to explain it. He says it's, it's a cutting off of the filth of the flesh, being buried with him in baptism. So now, that you, circumcision, it's an eternal covenant. It still continues, but now it's water baptism. It's not a physical act. God, I couldn't imagine him going, I know I used to place a rainbow in the sky as a sign of my eternal covenant. Now I'm going to do flying dogs or an angelic symphony. I'm just going to switch it up. He doesn't do that. He says, here's my covenant. Here's the sign. The sign remains unchanged, just as the covenant. I know I used to place a pillar of fire and a cloud, but even that, when they're filled with the Spirit, isn't it interesting that they're sat upon each of them, cloven tongues like as of fire? 
So now instead of one tabernacle with the spirit dwelling, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of temples that now have the spirit dwelling in them. God's a God of covenant. With those covenants, he gave us signs and tokens. And from what I can see, those tokens weren't for one day and then just flipped up and changed the next. So if God chose to fill his people with his very own spirit in the first several times that this happens and acts with speaking in tongues as a sign, it goes completely against God's precedent to think that somehow he changes it. And it, can, and it goes against the precedent to think that we could continue to live in covenant without one time ever participating in the token of that covenant ever again. If the covenant remains, the token of the covenant, the sign of the covenant remains, to say I've experienced that sign one time and now I'm done, I don't think that that's God's design. But the question at hand is a spirit-filled believer, one who has already spoken in tongues and received God's spirit, can I go from now until Jesus comes without ever speaking in tongues again and make heaven my home? In this church, we believe speaking in tongues is necessary. But what about that question? Does Scripture say we must continue after the initial time? I will tell you, the Bible does not clearly in one sentence state that we must continue to speak in tongues. Now, before some of you get nervous and think about finding a new church, hold tight here. If you're watching online, don't tune out yet. However, there are a number of Scriptures that would insinuate it is foolish to not continue speaking in tongues. Let's look at this. When discussing spiritual gifts, Paul says speaking in tongues strengthens us personally. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Now, granted, he's speaking of spiritual gifts, but... When I speak in tongues, I'm strengthened. Per Why would I not want to speak in tongues if it gives me personal strength? Paul then goes on to the church in Corinth, and he says, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. That does not sound to me that Paul was like, I got it, got the check mark done. I don't have to do it again. I experienced the sign, the token. We're good. It sounds to me like he was saying, I do it all the time, regularly. I do it so much that I can stand in front of a group of people or write a letter, I should say, to an entire church, an entire body of believers and confidently say, I do it more than anybody else there. So the apostle Paul continued Speaking in tongues. And you know, the one passage that so many people, they love it. They love this verse, but they take it out of context a lot. Ready? Romans 8, 28. And we know that all, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So just don't worry about it. God's going to work out your situation. You just keep focused on God. Everything's going to work out. Everything bad right now is eventually going to be good, and you don't even need to worry. Is that what that says? Is that what that says? But guess what? 
I'm wondering, I won't pass the mic, I'm not asking for a raise of hand, but I'm wondering if anybody in this house, I bet you there's a whole bunch of people that could quote that verse, but I'm wondering if anybody in this house could tell me the two verses prior to that. Go to verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Next verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God or call according to his purpose. So if we really want all things to work together for good, everybody wants that, right? Then we must allow the Holy Spirit to help us in our weaknesses. I'm in Scripture. To pray for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, for the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's will. Because there are times, I can guarantee you, if you're like me, and I think we are, very similar, that we are often going to pray for something, not because I'm thinking, God really wants me to pray for that, but because I really just want it. I really just want him to hear me, answer me, and please make it good, because I really want that bad. We get a little better as we go on, but we're kind of like the kids that we have. You know, like, I want that. I want that now. Give me that. I want that. We still have that as adults. But he says, the Spirit will pray and make intercession for you with groanings that can't be uttered, and it aligns you in harmony with God's will. And when we're in God's will... All things work together for good when we're in the will of God. But praying in the Spirit based on what I'm reading here is something that aligns us with the will of God. So you see, the Spirit's operation of our li- in our lives is what allows those good things to happen. And Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, says in verse 20, he says, But ye, beloved Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So let me get this right scripturally. He says, you want to build up yourself in your most holy faith? How do I do that? Praying in the Holy Ghost. So if I can get this straight scripturally, praying in the Spirit makes intercession for groanings that cannot be uttered. Praying in the Spirit is a way that all things work together for good. In praying in the Spirit, I actually build myself up when I pray. But somehow we're not content because there's not a passage that says, Hey, in order to be saved, you got to keep speaking in tongues. For them, it's like, well, why doesn't the New Testament talk more about tithing? Because it was so ingrained throughout the Old Testament, Jesus steps on the scene and says, hey, when you tithe, boom, boom, boom. And he just, he doesn't have to go back in and say, hey, uh, just to go back and backtrack, something that everyone here already knows, I'm going to reteach it from the beginning. It was already crystal clear. 
So for Paul to start to write to a church who's already speaking in tongues and filled with the Spirit, hey, y'all, let's just back up and just remember to keep, the, it was a given. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. Maybe you all, or I don't know. My goodness, 10 years later, I sound like I live in Missouri. I think the Bible doesn't say this, though. I think the Bible doesn't say this. Because God didn't want us just seeking tongues. Hear me. I think the Bible doesn't just come out and say it because God didn't want us just seeking tongues. God wants us seeking Him. God wants us seeking His Spirit. Sanctification is the continued work of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Sanctification is God continuing to operate in us and make us and mold us and shape us into what He wants us to be. That is why the initial sign of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, but there should be continual signs in our lives of God's continued work of His Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us something great. The Holy Spirit produces... See, he doesn't just talk about tongues, 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 tongues. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. The fruit or the evidence, the offspring, the sign of the Spirit's work in our lives is these things. And so we don't want to get so passionate about just speaking to tongues, speaking to tongues. You need to speak in tongues. You need to seek tongues, seek tongues, seek tongues. That's not what he wanted. God's like, seek me. That's an offspring. That, that, that's a sign that I'm going to indwell. I'm going to be in you. But there's more signs than just speaking in tongues. He's saying there should be the fruit of my spirit in your life should be that you're, you're loving. You're full of joy. There's peace in your life. There's gentleness and kindness. If all we do, ready for this? If all we do is speak in tongues, but God's spirit doesn't operate and produce other fruit, I doubt we're going to heaven. I'm better than those churches. I don't speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. If all we do is just speak in tongues and there's never other operation of God's fruit and sanctification in our lives, I doubt we're going to heaven, to be, to be honest. But on the flip side of that, if all we do is try to be good and just work on these things and don't spend time with God in prayer and I'm just out doing service ministry, just trying to be good to the community all the time and I'm not praying and I'm not praying the way that Paul described and Peter described and Jude described where God's able to do his will, the Spirit's going to make intercession for me to sanctify and purify me, building my most holy faith. If I'm not praying, I'm also kind of concerned about my eternal security. Scripture may not explicitly state its demand or necessity, but it certainly encourages us to continue to pray in the Spirit. It's actually pretty clear. But are tongues something we should seek? 
Or is it seeking the Spirit and tongues are like a bonus? I mean, what's, what's the deal? I believe that we, as we pray every day, I'll tell you, I speak in tongues every day. I don't need a full worship chorus, a message. I don't need to be at an altar. My altar, he, Moses is standing on holy ground on the side of a mountain. Why? Because wherever the presence of God is makes that place holy ground. So guess what? If God's with me at my house, living room, in the car, I, that, that place can be holy ground where I can begin to worship him. And when I worship him, God is drawn to the praise of his people. I can begin to feel God's presence and power at any point, and I can begin to speak as the Spirit gives me the utterance. I'm not pursuing tongues. That's just my method of prayer. Like Paul said, we should pray in both a known and an unknown tongue. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. But I don't understand what I'm saying. You're never going to get the Holy Ghost speaking your known language. Well, then what should I do? Well, he says, I'll, I'll pray in the spirit. And I'll also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I'll sing in words I, I, I understand. I'm going to pray both ways. And that I follow that to the T. So you join me for my morning prayer tomorrow. You're going to hear me speaking in English. Speaking in heavenese. But I don't know how we could ever biblically state that God would be okay with receiving the Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues just one time, and then just never speaking in tongues again. I mean, basically what I'm reading, he's building ourselves up, groanings that can't be uttered, molding and shaping us. I pray both ways. I speak in tongues more than you all. There's, there's so much clarity in the Word of God that this is the will of God for our lives. Now, once I receive the Spirit, I aim to walk in the Spirit. I believe that praying in the Spirit is part of the sanctification process. I will say this. Here's where people will argue with you. Speaking in tongues may no longer be necessary for salvation, according to what we read. But I believe, according to what we read, it is necessary for continued sanctification. Which then raises the question... Can I make heaven my home if my sanctification process stops? I got baptized. I got filled with the Holy Ghost, the initial sign of speaking in tongues. That's justification. I'm now justified in the spirit and the presence of God. You see these terms that Paul throws around. Sometimes we don't, we don't talk about them. Justification by faith. In my faith, I responded to God in obedience. And because of that, I'm now justified in his eyes because I took on his name. My sins were washed away. His spirit filled me after my repentance. Now I've just, justification is a one-time deal. But sanctification is a process. It keeps going. That's why I say to you all the time, I don't like when people say, when did you get saved? I'm still working on that. If you're asking when I stepped in the water, got filled with the Spirit, I'll tell you that date. But as far as when did I get saved, that's going to happen when I stand before Jesus and hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's when I'm saved. 
Until then, I am a work in progress because I'm being sanctified. And one of the ways God chose to sanctify and mold and shape me is giving me this sign that is his spirit is dwelling in me and he's using that as I pray to mold me, knock off the rough edges, make me who he wants me to be and use that to make intercessions for groanings that can't not be uttered. It might not even be for me. There's times where all of a sudden God's laying stuff in my heart. I'm speaking in tongues and I don't know, but I'm positive I'm praying for you. But I don't know every one of your situations. You know, sometimes my camera feeds that I've installed in all of your houses, they go down, and so I don't know what's going on in your life. Of course, I don't have that. Somebody might be tuning in online not knowing I'm joking. They're thinking, oh, what a bunch of weirdos. We might be weird, but for other reasons, okay? But no, so I don't know. So God just begins to quicken to my heart. And so I just begin to pray. So think about that. Oh, it might, it's not necessary for salvation? Fine. But I think it's necessary for continued sanctification. And if my sanctification process stops, the growing, can I make heaven? Well, that's a different discussion. But as I close, a spirit-filled believer would be unwise to be content with just the initial time that he or she spoke in tongues. Now, I don't want you to leave and go, I'm freaking out. He just said, I'm going to hell, and I need to, oh, Lord, make this happen. I got I to gotta teach. I, I read an article once where people say they, they were teaching people how to speak in tongues. Stay away from that place. That's crazy. Okay? No, ain't nobody teaching. You're not going to hear me go, repeat after me. I'm, no. And if I hear any of you praying with somebody at the altar, I will kindly put my shoulder and say, why don't you come with me? Let's, let's, let somebody else pray with them. Our goal is not tongues. I don't want you to leave all of a sudden stressed. Because you know what happens? You know, this happens to people on the initial outpouring of the Spirit, but it also happens to seasoned believers. You know what happens a lot? Is people will walk up, and the only thing on their mind is, i got to speak in tongues. i gotta, I got to speak in tongues. i got to speak in tongues. Because if I don't speak in tongues, what if something's wrong with me? I gotta, and, and, and they might look at me like I'm an outcast, and like I failed, and I need to do what they're doing. And like, it gets so, it, if I could make it so carnal. It's like playing a sport, right? If I'm on the free throw line, the minute I start going, oh God, I hope I don't miss this shot. I just don't want to miss this shot. I just cannot miss this shot. What's going to happen? You'll miss that shot. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to get so consumed with that. When, when you go to the altar, don't come to the altar going, I'm seeking tongues today. Think about the first time that you spoke in tongues. You were filled with the Spirit. For those of you who have been filled with, with that evidence. He didn't walk up going, i got to speak in tongues. Where's the tongues? Where do I get these tongues? How do I get these tongues? I hope I get these tongues. You walked up maybe with tears in your eyes. Because you realized, like they asked Peter, what must I do? They were pricked in their heart when they heard a message about Jesus. And when they heard a message about Jesus... They wanted to respond to his grace. And when you respond to the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary and the blood that still flows richly today, you approach a place and you say, God, I want more of you. 
if what he's saying is true about your spirit, I want that. I want to be filled with your spirit, God. I'm not seeking the sign. I'm seeking you. I want to be in that covenant with you. And whatever sign it is you want to give me, that's what I desire. And so I just want to approach right now because I want to be in your presence and I want to respond in obedience to you, God. And my heart is wide open for you to do whatever you desire to do. That, my friend, is going, you're going to find that that road leads to the Spirit. Don't seek the tongues. Don't seek the signs. Seek the covenant. Seek the relationship. Seek God. Just look. It, 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 when we got the Holy Ghost, it was a, a byproduct of, of our desire for God and a willingness to respond. And so tonight, I invite you to stand to your feet. And I think that the presence and power of God is here right now. And so I'm going to invite you to find a place at an altar. Find a place at an altar and do what? To respond to God. Some of you are beginning to cry out, and you're going to begin to feel the presence of God. You'll begin to speak in tongues. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, I would love to pray with you. And I can tell you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues before you leave. But if you're sitting here saying, I just want you, God, no matter if you have spoken in tongues, have not spoken in tongues, I think we all would be people that would say, I want to get to that altar. I want to get to that place where I can just come to God and say, Jesus I want more of you. I want more of your presence. That was the natural. That's why when you look in Acts chapter 8, Philip runs out to the middle of the wilderness and begins to preach to this eunuch. And all that scripture says is he preached unto him Jesus. As a preacher, I wish so bad I could get those sermon notes. I wish I could know what he preached. But all it says, Acts, I think it's 837, says, and he preached unto him Jesus. In the very next verse, the eunuch goes, here's water. What keeps me from getting baptized? Where in the world do you just get this idea to get baptized or filled with the Spirit? By preaching Jesus. Because Jesus' message is salvation. In Jesus' message, just Peter preaches Jesus. Philip preaches Jesus. Sometimes we just got to preach more of Jesus. And when someone wants more of Jesus, tongues and the Spirit, that's a byproduct of our hunger and desire to be closer to Jesus Christ who died on the cross, shed his blood, and has desired to enter into a deeper covenant relationship with people who could be his bride by taking on his name in the waters of baptism and allowing him to fill us with his spirit. So I invite you tonight, if you want more of Jesus, to just begin to come up to this altar, to bow a knee, raise a hand, whatever it is that you do that you feel comfortable, but don't leave without just responding to him tonight, with just saying, God, and if you got the spirit, I, I don't think I'd want to leave without saying, Jesus, I just want to tell you thank you. I want to tell you thank you for filling filling me with your spirit, God. Thank you, Lord God, that you gave me a sign. Thank you that you put your spirit and gave me evidence in a sign that it's there, God. I just am so grateful for that. Lord, and as I pray and speak in tongues, please do what you said you would in the word. Build me up, God. Lord, make intercession for groanings that cannot be uttered. Lord, so then all things could work together for good. Because of your spirit's operation in my life, Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you tonight. 